0: Hey there, my name is Vosh. I live stream on YouTube and Twitch and sometimes I even upload the good bits. This is Previously Live. How China Actually Got Rich. Ten minutes, let's find out.
1: The single most stunning economic story of the last few decades has been the rise of China. From 1980 to 2020, China's economy grew more than 75-fold. Huge new cities were built, hundreds of millions escaped poverty. It was the largest and most rapid improvement in material conditions on record in modern history.
0: This is, uh, this is, um, I don't know if it's the most, but this is, yeah, this is true, basically. Um, you know. Uh, through the power of capitalism, uh, the line did, in fact, go up, yeah.
1: Let's go back. When the economist Adam Smith was writing in the 1700s, he considered China to be one of the-
0: Notice the 24-7 streaming by your fan channel? Is Destiny streaming about me for- for 24-7? Does it say 24-7 the title? Apparently he's doing a whole day of streaming about me or something. 24-7 Vosh Alert. You won't believe what a sub thinks
2: about Shu. Hilarious debate review. I got a... I got a rain in my clip channels, man. Did you see his convo
0: with President Sunday? Uh, no, I didn't.
1: The wealthiest countries that had ever existed. But after decades of war and instability in the 19th century and early 20th century, China began a rapid decline. Up until a few decades ago, China was one of the poorest countries on Earth. But now China is an economic powerhouse. Economists predict that it will overtake the U.S. as the largest economy in the world in this decade. Uh,
0: I've heard this is, a, this is a fairly contested estimation because they're, 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 um, they're expecting to have a GDP drop or at least a rate of GDP growth drop when their whole population boom fizzles out what's the current hold on america wow that was a lot of typo america versus china gdp why why am i not getting a chart why 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 would it not just show me a chart with both of the lines on it why would it not okay america gdp is about 21 trillion and china gdp is 14.7 trillion. Um okay, here here are the lines so we can see lines going up. So China's had China's had like a big boom. America's growth has been pretty insane too. Like people talk about Japan being an economic powerhouse, but they've been stagnating since the um the mid 90s, you know? Um, but America's GDP has just been like pretty much except for COVID. Yeah, we took a dip during COVID, but like a pretty incredible Growth. Um, and China's seen like really even like a higher rate of growth. Um, I guess it's a matter of whether like it keeps yeah, you know. We'll see. Japan fell off. Unironically oh, though.
1: People called it the Chinese Miracle. You can hear some people describe this miracle as a straightforward story of the free market. Uh-oh. They say it's a simple story. China was poor, then the economy was freed from the grip of the state. Now China is rich. But this is misleading. China's rise was not about the triumph of the free market. To understand why, we have to look at what happened to other countries, which remade their own economies in the same period, often to disastrous effects. Since the 1980s, free market policies have swept the globe. Many countries have undergone far-ranging transformations, liberalizing oil prices, privatizing entire industries, and opening up to free trade. But many of the economies that were sub-
0: Wait, what, what, are, the, wait, what are these graphics here?
1: Arranging transformations, liberalizing all prices, privatizing entire industries.
0: Uh, like, I, I, you know, it just, <laughs> I know that this is not meant to be like a neutral education channel or whatever, but
1: and opening up to free trade,
0: opening up to free trade, showing like firearm, like transit, you know what I mean? Yeah.
1: But many of the economies that were subjected to markets overnight have since stagnated or decayed. None have had a growth record anything like the one seen in China. African countries endured brutal economic shrinkage. Latin America experienced 25 years of stagnation. If we compare China to Russia, the other giant of communism in the 20th century, the contrast is even more staggering. Under state socialism, Russia was an industrial superpower, while China was still largely an agricultural economy. Yet during the same period, the Chinese reform led to an incredible economic growth. Russia's reform led to a brutal collapse. Both China and Russia
0: had been... there's a, there's a grain of truth here. Actually, it's not just a grain of truth. The thing that's made China so powerful, the thing that made their economy grow so effectively, is that state capitalism, not capitalism. Like, essentially, capitalism is allowed to flourish within China as long as it, you know, serves the interests of the state. That's why you hear stories of billionaires getting, like, executed or whatever over there when they, when they like, fail. Yeah, when they fail to do that. It's basically, it's, it's cap, she said state socialism. It's not state socialism. It's state capitalism. Um, it's it's private industry, um, and, and as long as you're kept within, like as long as you you what you're doing is benefiting the nation state, you know. Um, and oftentimes, what you see with countries where privatization fails is that you have rampant um, privatization that isn't being done with a kind of central framework. Now, I will say, in terms of like effectiveness of in like like developing a country, state capitalism, I think, is way better than like regular laissez-faire capitalism when you are the one being invested in if you're the country that's like opening up to foreign markets and you have the many many poor people and you're the one that's underdeveloped and you're the one who's at risk of being imperialized or uh, being subjected to neocolonialism or like the imf or the world bank or whatever if you're in that position having like autocratic government control over private investment can be pretty helpful um vietnam is another success story of that Vietnam was doing absolute like garbage until they opened up to private investment and privatization, and their economy has started to grow since then. Um, and 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 that's in large part because like it's kept it's kept rein in reined in by like the government, you know, the one-party state. Uh, so it's it's definitely better, you know. I won't I won't deny that. So yeah.
1: economies that were organized largely through state commands, individual.
0: Do you think socialism slash communism can ever overcome the fact of supply and demand? It doesn't need to. The, the socialist economic theory doesn't contradict or fight against supply-demand theory. Um, you can understand supply and demand's effect on like, economic behavior and still be a socialist.
1: Players could only act within the structures set by state planning. Think of playing football. Each individual player can only be moved along with the rod to which it is attached. It is a rigid setup. You can only go back and forth or rotate. Market reforms in both Russia and China was like moving from football to an actual soccer game. Players now could move freely. But while Russia jumped right into the game without setting up a proper stadium, rules or jury, in China the state took the lead in setting up all infrastructure. The state built the team, it trained the players, educated the coaches, and designed an overall strategy.
0: Um, This feels like a tortured analogy, but I don't think this is wrong. I actually, I think this is fair, right? When Russia opened up to privatization after the collapse of the Soviet Union, it was basically a free-for-all of privatization, and a lot of it got cut up by oligarchs who were powerful in the state beforehand. Uh, Whereas China... Was a lot more controlled about like the, the limitations that they set up for private investment, and that led to it being done largely for the benefit of the state, as opposed to Russia just getting like fucking wrecked by uh you know by, by oligarchs. You know? Yeah.
1: Russia followed the recommendations of the most quote unquote scientific economics at the time, a policy of so called shock therapy. As a basic principle, The idea was that the old planned economy had to be destroyed to make space for the market to emerge. Think of shock therapy like knocking over a Jenga tower after a short period of pain. Russia was supposed to emerge as a fully-fledged capitalist economy almost overnight. The leader of the plan announced it was a way of destroying communism in Russia. When Russian President Boris Yeltsin took power, he eliminated all price controls, privatized state-owned companies and assets, and immediately opened Russia up to global trade. So what happened? In a word, catastrophe. The Soviet economy was already in disarray, but shock therapy was a fatal blow. The shock therapists had predicted some shorter-
0: Yeltsin was the most effective CIA agent ever developed in their labs. A, a, a crucial blow to the Russian economy
1: campaign but what they did not see coming was how severe destructive and permanent the effects would be consumer prices spiraled out of control hyperinflation took hold government coffers were looted gdp fell by 40 percent. the shock therapy recession in russia was deeper and longer than the american great depression by a large margin this was a disaster for ordinary russian people um
0: is that true? I don't know if that's true didn't i'm I'm pretty sure the the great Depression proportionally led to way more economic harm. Is that true? That might be true, damn well either way the sh- shock therapy uh was was like fucked, yeah um basically like yeah uh like it it was super fucking bad many of the former Soviet countries that underwent shock therapy are in, like, slightly better conditions today because they've buddied up with the EU afterwards. But for countries that didn't, like, they got fucked, basically. Let's see the Russia Russia
2: GDP, yeah. um, Yeah, you can see Russia's GDP, you know, like,
0: stalled. God, look at that. Like, half a trillion here. And then through, like, the effects of shock therapy dipping all the way down to $200 billion. This is less than the worth of Elon Musk. Right here, Elon Musk today is worth more, was, was, he would have been worth more, significantly more, than the entire country of Russia in, in, in 1999. Um, and then, like, since then, it's been super fucked. And now it's going to go down again because they fucked their economy again by invading Ukraine. Um, wait, if we look at Ukraine's GDP, because they, they also got mega-super... Yeah, you see the same pattern here, right? um You know, you, the fall of the Soviet Union, like, shock therapy, and then around 1999 is when things started to pick back up. You see Romania right here as well. Belarus was always kind of fucked, whatever. um Oh, wow, what happened to Ukraine's GDP? What happened in 2014 that made Ukraine's GDP plummet? I wonder. Um... What kind of reforms would China need to make to become a more genuinely bottom-up socialist state, in your view? China is like not even remotely socialist. So they would have to do a lot. <laughs> like a lot, a lot. The reason China's doing well is because of a sharp increase in meaning age. Yeah, China, wait, hold on. Can we find China's age distribution? This has helped it, but it's about to work against it. Um they had a baby boom that's about to kick their ass. According to age distribution of China's population in 2021, approximately 68% of the population were in the working age, between 15 and 64 years of age. Holy
2: shit. Look, the dark blue center part here
0: is working age, and it's going down with time. Back in uh, 2011, three quarters of the population of the country was working age. And now it's down to 68%. I want, let me see if I can find America's. Um, America
2: age distribution. Yeah, for America, we're a bit lower. It's
0: at 65, but we've held stable. See, it's 66% back here and 65% here. So we're over our baby boom, like leap, and we've got a pretty stable working age population. But China, their working age percentage is decreasing by by a decent amount. So a lot of these people are going to age out into the elderly category. And it's going to be like... Can I get a more specific age breakdown on this? Can I find, like, within, within a smaller distribution? Like, how close are these people to retirement?
2: Yeah. Wow. This is by five-year age group. Look at this group
0: right here the 55 to 59, 50 to 54 and 45 to 49 right here. Oh god, all these groups are in working age but won't be soon. That see you see what I mean? That right there is going to suck for China's economy when in like um 10 to 15 years when when this um w- when this bubbles out into the retirement age or I guess 15 to 20. Um yeah, cuz it's not like you, you ideally what you want to see is you want to see like like a a, like an even downward curve kind of where like you have the same number of like young like you want to see like it a tapering off basically where the line goes like pretty flat and then it goes like that you know like it like it tapers off closer to old age because you die you know um this right here if this if it wasn't for this if you could redistribute this chunk of elderly age right here to like back here china would be fine so this is like 5 or 6 percentage points which is hundreds of millions of people that are going to retire off faster than sort of the expected population distribution you know yeah
2: yeah that's going to fucking suck i guess we'll i guess we'll see how that how that gets handled yeah this is a good website for this population pyramid
0: Oh, yeah, I see. Yeah, you can see the same distribution thing right here. God. Ugh, well.
2: People.
1: HIV infections, alcoholism, childhood malnutrition, and crime went through the roof. Life expectancy for Russian men fell by seven years. More than any industrialized country has ever experienced in peace time. Jesus. In 2006, Russian life expectancy was still several years lower than it had been in 1986 under the Soviet Union. It turned out that Russia didn't get a successful free market overnight. Instead, it went from a stagnating economy to a hollowed out wreckage dominated by oligarchs.
0: So far, by the way, I don't, I don't disagree with, um, with anything here, I don't think. Oh, by the way, I said earlier what the ideal age distribution should be. America's pretty close. Remember what I said? You want kind of like a straight line and then it tapers off at the end? Here's America's. So here you have under five, five to nine, ten to fourteen. That way you have like you have like about the same number of adults as you have the number of children like per same like range of age, you know? Um, and then it sort of tapers off at the end right here, you know. Um, you can kind of see generational booms. I'm in this group right here. This would be like the like the the zoomer to millennial like gap right there and you know um this back here would have been like the gen x i think yeah
1: if simply getting rid of price controls and government employment didn't make a country prosper and in fact destroyed its economy and killed huge numbers of people then clearly the rapid application of free markets was not the simple solution. I agree with that. When Deng Xiaoping took over the leadership of China in 1978, the country he inherited was still desperately poor. In 1980, China had a per capita GDP of just $194. What the fuck? That was less than Sudan and Haiti, and almost half of Niger. The Chinese leadership knew they needed reform. As I show in my book, How China Escaped Shock Therapy, Throughout the 1980s, the Chinese leadership repeatedly considered implementing the same type of sudden reforms that Russia had pursued later. The idea of starting from a clean slate seemed attractive and shock therapy was widely promoted by quote unquote scientific economics. Programs for rapid price liberalization were prepared and then withdrawn twice. But in the end, they decided not to pursue shock therapy. Unlike the free market economists in Russia, Economists in China approach change like a game of Jenga. Take out many pieces at once and the whole thing falls apart. Take out one piece at a time and you can win the game. Instead of knocking over the whole Jenga tower at once, China reformed itself in an experimental and gradual way. Market activities were tolerated and actively promoted in non-essential parts of the economy. China implemented a system of what they call dual-track pricing. State-on-enterprise...
0: I just want to say, by the way, so far I I completely agree with this video. My my issues with China, I mean, at the end of the day, first of all, it's a capitalist country. And second of all, my issue with China is that it's an authoritarian hellhole. But in terms of, like, their rapid economic growth and their belief that, like, strong constraints on privatization can be better for the state than just, like, rampant, uncontrolled private investment... um, I, I I completely agree with that. Oh yeah, sure, Roman.
1: and farmers had to deliver their quotas to the government at a certain price set by the government. But if they managed to produce more, they could sell their surplus at a market price. China. Was-
0: See, in in concept, I don't know enough about the specifics of the Chinese economy to um to say whether or not this was done well. But in concept, I think this is a good way. Of introducing like basic elements of decommodification, you know what I mean, where like you have to w- whatever private production like produces you know like whatever is brought about from it you uh, a certain threshold is 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 managed as like a stipend like a like a flat expected uh you know controlled amount, and then the rest of it's like all right, if you want your free market, then only through the excess you know i think i, I like I think that's a, a viable um method of capitalist growth um would you support private production of non-essential and luxury goods in a communist society? Well, the more essential and the least, the less elastic uh, a commodity or service is, the better a candidate it is for decommodification. But like the last things that would need to be decommodified are just luxuries, right? Like the wor- like the world does not need like decommodified yacht production. That's just not. That's not on the top of the priority list for the for the proletarian, you know, the proletarian masses. It's, you know, you can put some stuff down the line further, and like at the end of the day, if you live under socialism and like it, like ev- like everything's accommodated for, people work to like fulfill the common need. Everyone's hours are cut in half. But some people, like, have extra fucking vouchers that they trade for a yacht. I, I don't, again, I don't like speculating about, like, the nature of how socialism will work exactly. I like talking about the, the paths we take to get there, okay? You know? I, I don't, I don't want to be the city planner. I want to be, like, the engineer. I want to be like, yes, this is a good rock to place down that will make for a good road. Where does the road lead? I don't know. But, it, but it's a good rock. You know? <laughs>
1: But if they managed to produce more, they could sell their surplus at a market price. China was learning from the real story of the world's most developed nations, countries like the United States, Britain, Japan and South Korea. Each of these in their own way managed and planned the development of their economies and markets, protecting early stage industries and controlling investment. Free market economists... This
0: is true the um the asian the asian tigers you know like singapore and korean shit they also did this as well they were very poor countries that um they're capitalist um but they rather than just opening themselves up to getting fucked by the imf and just being invested in and being turned into like yet another country that makes like you know shoes for americans um they engaged in um protectionist policies where they tried to allow their local industries to develop and not be like outcompeted by a much wealthier foreign industry to the point that they could actually compete like locally and then eventually broadly you know
1: this thought this system would be a disaster the american economist milton friedman wrote an open letter to Deng's premier joseon he said that the dual price system was a bad idea and that china should free prices and wages in one bold stroke end of quote just like in Russia. But China's leaders yeah, didn't I'm not listen. To and while Russia collapsed after following the shock therapy program, China saw remarkable success. The state kept control over the backbone of the industrial economy as well as the ownership over land. As China grew into the new dynamics of its economy, state institutions were not degraded to fossils from the past, but were often the drivers at the frontier of new industries, protecting and guaranteeing their own growth. China today is not a free market economy in any sense of the word. It is a state-led market economy. The government effectively owns all land, and China leverages state ownership through market competition to steer the economy as a whole. The shock therapy approach advocated around the world was a failure. While Russia collapsed after its sudden transformation, China's gradual reforms allowed it to thrive. And that made all the difference.
0: I- yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with this at all. Um, no, this I think this is a good video. I mean, you can argue that it's like implicitly defending China in, in like a broader sense, you know, which obviously I, I fucking hate China. But in terms of the idea that like China's policies ended up being a much more effective way of securing the interests of the state and of the people in terms of their, like, um, you know, their their attitude towards privatization than just, like, shock therapy. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dude, it just said China's central ownership of land is a good thing, right? No, no. It's all it's saying is that, like, China's attitudes and strategy towards this has been more effective for the state and for the people than Russian shock therapy, which is totally true, right? Like, it's hard to argue with that. I kind of want to watch an, another. Is there another... Are electric cars actually good for the environment? Um, why France still controls Africa? LAP still keeps killing people. At the FBI catfish me. America facilitated genocide in Bangladesh. Uh, how Britain starved Ireland. Um, I, ca- I kind of want to watch all of these. But I only have time for one. Oh, link the kitten video. But like do it quick, because we have to... We we have the thing soon. Oh, I saw this. It's so good. It makes me wonder if this was like planned because they're so friendly.
1: He's on the side of the road. Yeah, get killed for sure.
2: Someone just. Oh, no. It's a whole. Oh, my gosh. I can't take you all. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. There's more. We got a kitten problem.
0: Ambush. I'm not.
2: Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh.
1: Who would do this? I thought I'd save him one. Hot diggity dog. Look.
0: Apparently, um, apparently the person, uh, uh, took them all. Yeah. Oh. Well, yeah, apparently they took them all. If people want to follow us Facebook, they posted updates. Um, oh yeah, so it seems. We're going to clean them up
2: a little bit. We got, I think, 12 of them right here. One of them still running around, but all y'all really helped
1: out and gave us some recommendations, so we're going to... Today is the day we're going to clean them up. They've been eating really good, really happy. I uh, got a real gentle <laughs> brush for them and
2: a mixture that y'all recommended that was...
0: Adorable. Hopefully the dog's nice. The dog looks nice, you know. Um, super cute. Wait, I, I, I just I kind of want to. The problem is I don't know that much. I don't know as much about foreign policy stuff. So if I watch this and there's misinformation, I don't want to like not have anything to say. Why France still controls Africa? We only have we only have twenty five minutes. I'll tr- I'll try watching this. How about how America facilitated genocide? Let's try that. Electric car, but I know the answer to the electric car thing.
3: This is Bangladesh. It's probably not a country you've heard a whole lot about. Maybe that's because it's kind of hard to see on a map. Geographically speaking, Bangladesh is a small place, about as big as the state of Illinois. But when it comes to population, Bangladesh is the eighth largest country in the world, with 170 million people. That's 25 million more people than all of Russia. Bangladesh's capital, Dhaka, is the ninth largest city on earth, more populated than New York. Yep. But a few decades ago, Bangladesh wasn't officially called Bangladesh. It was actually a wing of another country, Pakistan, and it was called East Pakistan. And there's a really terrible story about how it got there.
0: A subcontinent larger than the whole of Europe becomes two self-governing dominions within the British
1: Commonwealth of Nations. In
3: 1947, as British India was becoming independent, the British government announced the subcontinent would be split into. In the center, there would be a Hindu-majority country called India, and outside it, with wings on the east and west, there would be a Muslim-majority country called Pakistan. East Pakistan was populated mostly by-
0: British people fucking love doing this, dude. They love taking over a place, and then being like, all right, I'm gonna draw a giant line the map. Are you guys ready? We're gonna draw the biggest, straightest line.
3: Bengalis, people from this big region here, which had been split between east and west in the partition. West Pakistan was populated mostly by Punjabis, Pashtuns, Sindhis, and a few other ethnic groups separated by over 1,000 miles of Indian territory and demographically and culturally split between groups from opposite ends of South Asia, this was a really weird arrangement. In the years following independence, it turned out not to work too well for people in the East. Even though East Pakistan had most of the country's population, they were shut out of the levels of power. The central government was dominated by people from the West. The real power in the country was the armed forces, and Bengalis only constituted about 5% of all military personnel. East Pakistan was treated as an internal colony of the West. The export earnings of its agrarian industries were siphoned off by the central government, and the region was neglected in terms of spending. And there was no better symbol of the East subservient position than language. Because even though East Pakistan was a majority of the country's population, its most common language, Bengali, was given no federal status. Bengali speakers were treated like second-class citizens. So in 1970, Pakistan held national elections.
0: Yeah, I I sped it up a little bit. Um, I don't know enough about this to, like, fact-check or whatever. I'm just, like, watching.
3: Overseen by a military dictator named Yahya Khan, and it was on the basis of this inequality between East and West that a Bengali nationalist party called the Awami League swept the election. Led by a charismatic guy named Sheikh Mujibur Rahman, the Awami League won an outright majority. Not just- Does
0: this guy not look like a director? Maybe it's the glasses. This guy looks like he's a director, you know what I mean? Like, like he's some kind of quirky, like, Wes Anderson tier, you know what I mean? Like s- somebody who would be like, loved by film students you know yeah i don't know yeah, he's got a scarf too i i don't know yeah
3: a guy named sheikh mujibur rahman the awami league won an outright majority not just in east pakistan but in all of pakistan rahman was set to become prime minister of the entire country but to the pakistani government that wasn't acceptable Yahya khan thought that a bengali party couldn't be allowed to form a government so he refused to accept the results of course this did not go over well in east pakistan the bitterness
0: of poverty and resentment in East Pakistan erupted today in a kind of civil war. Sheikh Mujibur Rahman, the leader of East Pakistan, declared the region an independent republic, which he said will be called Bangladesh.
3: Oh no. The Pakistani government.
0: Uh, events that precede disaster. Oh no. Oh God was furious.
3: So the next night, they launched their response, a campaign they called Operation Searchlight. They branded it as a program of pacification to calm the situation and return things to normal. But their real plan was different, mass murder on an unimaginable scale. And that's where the United States comes in. Bangladesh was not just another story about the problems of post-colonial states and artificial borders. This was a story that took place on an international scale. It became a violent theater of the Cold War, one in which America played an active role. Yaya Khan was a close ally of America's president,
0: Richard- Oh my god. Dude's got anime winglet eyebrows, that's crazy, and he's so red. What power. This is a real statesman. Imagine, imagine, like, trying to make deals with this guy and looking into his face. Looking into his eyes.
3: was a close ally of America's president, Richard Nixon. Nixon and his secretary of state, Henry Kissinger, loved that type of right-wing military dictator. Nixon even called Khan quote, a good friend. So in the 1960s and 70s, the Pakistani regime became one of the largest recipients.
0: Dude, isn't it fucked up that young Henry Kissinger is kind of cute? That's super fucked up. I feel like if Henry Kissinger was in, like, 50 years, people are going to treat him the way Tumblr girls treat, like, serial killers. You know what I mean? Where it's like, oh, they were just misunderstood. That'd be fucking funny with Kissinger. God, can you imagine? Imagine being 85 years old on whatever social media in the future is, and there are, like, 19-year-old college students who are like, ah. They're going to talk about him the way people talk about, like, Stalin, like the old photos of him. Oh god, that's going to be so fucking funny.
2: Actually, doesn't he look a little bit like Chief O'Brien from Star Trek? Do- doesn't he? I think he kind of I think he kind of does though. Two, two men, one struggle. I don't know. Get him some thick glasses. And I feel like, yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> Let's just move on.
3: So, oh, in the 1960s and 70s, the Pakistani regime became one of the largest recipients of American military aid in the entire world. Most of the planes, guns, bullets, and bombs that Pakistan was now flying into Bangladesh had been generously supplied to it by the United States. And with those American weapons, Pakistan unleashed a campaign.
0: Wait, hold on. Usually the U.S. doesn't do this unless it benefits us directly. Was, ba- was Bangladesh like more aligned with Russia and China and Pakistan was more aligned with us? Is that the reason why we did this? We were like, ah, yes, we're helping Pakistan defeat communism in Bangladesh or some shit. Okay, yeah. Just,
3: yeah. ...of absolute terror, today recognized as one of the most ruthless genocides of the entire 20th century.
0: Let me see. Killed between 300,000 and 3 million people, raped between 200,000 and 400,000 Bengali women. Great. What is this range of deaths? That's an order of magnitude difference. Okay. Um, the actions against women were supported by Pakistan's religious leaders who declared Bengali women were public property.
2: Okay. About 30 million civilians were displaced out of 70 million. U.S. complicity. Viewed Pakistan as a Cold War
0: ally, refused to condemn its actions. Jesus Christ. The president seems to be making sure that the distrusted State Department would not, on its own, condemn Yahya for killing Bengalis. Nixon and China tried to suppress reports of genocide emanating... Wait, why would China want to suppress reports of genocide emanating from East Pakistan? How do they benefit from that? Nixon also relied on Americans not paying close attention to events in Asia. U.S. government secretly encouraged the shipment of weapons from Iran, Turkey, and Jordan to Pakistan. What is this this alliance, dude? Holy shit. Oh, right, the Sino-Soviet split. This was the 70s, not the 60s. Fuck. Um... What is this alliance, dude? America, Pakistan, China, Iran, Turkey, and Jordan all all helping out Pakistan to genocide the Bengalis. Jesus Christ. Truly a truly a uniting moment for the world, I guess. US officials knew about the mass killings and used the term genocide and selective genocide for example in the blood telegram show President Nixon Christopher downplay the secret internal of Vice President of Pakistan. In his book, *The Trial of Henry Kissinger*, God, I fucking wish Christopher Hitchens elaborates what he saw as the efforts of Kissinger's to subvert the aspirations. Besides, point to the efforts. Some American politicians did speak out. Senator Ted Kennedy. Oh, hi, Ted. Charged Pakistan with committing genocide, then called for a cut off American military and economic aid to Pakistan. Oh shit, hello, half a century ago, Ted Kennedy he keeps coming up, doesn't he well he's he's a pretty important guy for a while, you know, damn, comrade Ted Kennedy fighting on behalf
2: of the the, the Bengali people um fuck. The Bangladesh movement was supported by prominent political and cultural figures in the West, including Ted
0: Kennedy, George Harrison, Bob Dylan, um, John Baez, Victoria Ocampo, Andre Malraux. Um, the concert for Bangladesh was held at Madison Square Garden to raise funds for refugees. The first major benefit concert in history. Oh, yeah, this is also why Caleb uh, uh, Maupin doesn't like Bob Dylan. Caleb Maupin loves it when. Um, Bengalis die or whatever. Fuck, we have to finish this video because the hearing is going to start soon. Now West Pakistan, which also has most of the army, is trying to crush the revolt. There are reports of many casualties in Dhaka and other East Pakistan cities.
3: When they arrived in Bangladesh, Pakistan soldiers put the city under strict martial law. Rahman was arrested and any Bengali thought to support him was murdered. Yahya Khan personally gave the orders. Kill three million of them, he said, and the rest will eat out of our hands. Taka became a particularly gruesome site. Huge sections of the city were bombed. Pakistani soldiers set older parts of the city on fire with flamethrowers or bulldozed entire blocks flat. At the university, soldiers massacred students and teachers. Within a few weeks, about 75% of the population of Taka had fled. But the Pakistani military didn't just stop there. The Pakistani army and its collaborators went into the villages. People say the soldiers went wild, that they chose people at random, women, men, babies, shot and ran them through with bayonets. All the women, the people say, were raped before they were killed, and their husbands and children were made to watch their mother's degradation. The numbers are staggering. At least 300,000 Bangladeshis were murdered, and perhaps as many as one or two million. Between 200,000 and 400,000 Bangladeshi women and girls were raped.
0: If anyone's wondering, by the way, why I go super fucking hard against, like, um, American diabolism, the idea that, like, America is, like, the sole root of all evil, I think that attitudes like that can really fucking pull people away from understandings of the world that, like, make it clear shit like this happens. You know what I mean? Like, America was involved here, but even if we weren't, like, this would have happened. We just supported Pakistan's side. You know what I mean? Like, it's, like, I just, yeah, it's, it's, it's important to understand the, you know, the... Humans are just,
3: uh... About 10 million people fled into India in just a few weeks. One of the largest and most sudden movements of refugees in human history. A World Bank mission found that in every district, there were villages which have simply ceased to exist.
0: Oh, not to say that you can't criticize the U.S. for their involvement in this. And you should, you should. I. I only mean to say that, like... An understanding of the horrors of the world can never begin and end with like a, a like a um, a condemnation of the West, you know. Because obviously that's like a part of it, but like there's always more to it than that, you know. Um,
3: yeah. One American official called it the most incredible, calculated thing since the days of the Nazis in Poland. A senior American diplomat named Archer Blood wrote message.
0: What a fucking name, dude! Holy shit, Archer Blood.
3: Message after message to the White House and the State Department, alerting them to the genocide and asking them to stop protecting the Pakistanis. Our government, he wrote, has evidence what many will consider moral bankruptcy. But Nixon and Kissinger didn't care. No, nope,
0: it didn't matter. Nixon was right. Americans don't give a shit. Nobody knows. Nobody cares. I bet maybe one American in every one hundred knows about the Bangladeshi genocide, or like what we did, or what they did, or whatever. You know, it's you know, it's just it. Yeah.
3: That consul in Dhaka, Kissinger said, doesn't have the strongest nerves. Archer Blood's telegram got thrown in the trash. So as Pakistan was destroying Bangladesh with American weapons, Nixon and Kissinger knew exactly what was going on. And they weren't angry. If anything, they were impressed. The use of power against seeming odds, Kissinger says, pays off. That was partly because of Cold War power politics. After all, Pakistan was an anti-communist partner, and Pakistan's neighboring rival, India, seen as a Soviet ally. So Pakistan was an essential outpost for US interests, and his actions couldn't be opposed. And Nixon and Kissinger also held really racist views that led them to ignore the killings. What Nixon had to say about Indians in one White House conversation. Most sexless not people. I mean, people say, what about the The, the Indians. One Ameri-
0: that's 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 some classic Americana right there. And people act today like modern reactionaries don't think this way. The only difference between like what what Nixon said there and what Trumps like thinks is that Trump doesn't say it. You know what I mean? You think that like, like you think like McConnell doesn't think shit like that. Like, the only difference here is that they've stopped saying it out loud because they can't get away with it anymore. Outside of that, like, I don't think any- what was- was- Reagan was the one who compared black people to monkeys, right? That That was Reagan, right? In the White House? Not as a governor? Yeah. Like, that was just in the 80s, you know?
3: American diplomats suggested cutting off aid to Pakistan to stop the genocide, Nixon put it bluntly. I wouldn't do that to help the Indians. The Indians are no goddamn good. What Indians really need, Nixon said, is a mass famine. Kissinger agreed. He added,
0: Another one? Wait. What
3: they need, Nixon said, is a mass famine. Kissinger agreed. He added, They are a scavenging people. So Nixon and Kissinger stepped up aid to Pakistan. They illegally transferred more American weapons into the hands of Pakistan through American allies like Jordan, Iran, and Turkey.
0: The United States even made an implicit threat toward India not to intervene by
3: moving a nuclear aircraft carrier into the Bay of Bengal on the coast of Bangladesh. And as America assisted the genocide, the situation escalated. With so many Bengali refugees flooding across the border, India had to intervene. The Indian government gave its support to pro-independence Bangladeshi rebels fighting the Pakistani army. Pakistan responded by launching an attack on the Indian Air Force. And the situation turned into an all out war. Oh, but with Indian intervention, that war ended in just two weeks. Pakistan surrendered and Bangladesh became an independent country.
0: Damn, a- um anti imperialist India really stepping up to the bat there. Jesus Christ. I was wondering when India would get involved because, like, India is like literally separates the two of them. And India is a far larger country, you know, it's, it's certainly a, a, a viable military power, you know.
3: Yaya Khan resigned in disgrace. Rahman was freed and became the first president of the independent nation of Bangladesh.
0: The memory of what happened there may already be growing dim in many of us, but what did happen there will never be forgotten by the people of Bangladesh, especially the women.
3: But in Pakistan, there was never any trial of the war criminals. People who had carried out the genocide got away with it. The generals and politicians who had planned it remained dominant in national life. Even in Bangladesh, many people who had collaborated in the genocide continued to be prominent in public life, becoming businessmen and politicians. And two of the biggest collaborators in the genocide, Henry Kissinger and Richard Nixon, were never tried or held responsible for their role in Bangladesh. They had knowingly facilitated a genocide, had joked about it, had spoken positively of its leaders, and they got away with it. I'm Nashwa Zaman for the Gravel Institute.
0: Yeah, America bad unironically, actually. You know, you know how... You know, do you ever do you ever get the feeling? Do you ever get the feeling that the walls are closing in on the American Empire, and a lot of it is because, unbeknownst to the average American, there are billions of people out there who despise us with every like fiber of their being and will never stop despising us because we like were directly involved in some horrible shit that happened in their country. You know, like that doesn't happen here in America. Like nobody in America is like, "Er, those Bangladeshi." Like, no, that doesn't that doesn't. Doesn't happen here we're safe from everything the closest thing we have is 9 11 and then Pearl Harbor like a century ago you know like that that's the closest we that's the closest we've got um yeah we're building up quite the uh the grudge list yeah wacky stuff Bosh! I thought democracies didn't do genocide what democracies absolutely do genocides who said they haven't